Hi, and welcome back to Episode 5 of Voices. And our guest this time is uh, is returning. She was actually the guest on the last of the old OASN, Occupy America Social Network. Uh, we did Independence Forever, which was probably a great way to sign off on OASN. And now she's back with the new show, Voices. Please say hello and introduce yourself real briefly, Susie. Hi, Terry. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, my name is Susie Dawson. I am a citizen journalist from Auckland, New Zealand. I'm also an activist, and today I'm speaking for the new grassroots movement to free Julian Assange, which is called JA for Me. Okay, JA for Me. It is. That's the hashtag. And why is it JA for you? Can you give us your personal reason? Sure. Well, um, the cornerstone of this movement is actually poetry, um, a line that is being tweeted thousands of times via our gorgeous campaign website to our hashtag. The line is, by risking his life to speak the truth, Julian Assange speaks for me. Now we will rise up for him until they set him free. So it's really recognizing that Julian is speaking for all of us each time that he takes on these huge global superpowers. Okay, uh, <laughs> that says it real well. We've In the Independence Forever show, we talked about the importance of keeping the whistleblowers alive. Um, and that's what this show is all about. There is an urgency here. Um, can you go ahead and kind of give us an overview of the JA4Me movement? Sure. Well, it's something that's been kicking around our heads for quite a while. We, it's been clear that Something needs to change. Something needs to happen. Um, for five years now, WikiLeaks supporters have been debating the merits or the gaping holes in the case against Julian. We have taken on the state trolls. Um, we have waited patiently while the legal process goes through its stride. Um, with the February ruling from the UN Working Group against uh, on arbitrary detention, um, it's clear now that, that he has won that that he has made the point that he is being arbitrarily detained. But it's also become clear that the superpowers that are set against him are not going to respect that decision. So it is going to take something beyond legal forums and beyond international diplomacy to actually get him out of that embassy now, to liberate him and to allow him safe passage to Ecuador. So that's what this movement is all about. It's about ordinary people all around the world saying enough is enough, these superpowers need to respect their own laws. They need to release him. Uh, uh, there, let me, I, I don't think we can stress enough, this isn't just our opinion. The UN has ruled that this is an illegal detention, correct? Yes, they have, an illegally binding decision. Okay, so to make a long story short, and there are governments, including my government, uh, that are breaking the law, uh, breaking international law. Is that is that overstating the point? Very much so. By not respecting the, the decision, their message is clear. They do not respect and will not obey their own laws, their international agreements, their covenants, and their dictates when it does not suit them to do so. And while the UN is used as a mechanism to impose sanctions upon smaller, more marginalized, non-compliant countries, it will never be used to sanction those superpowers of the West who so callously and openly defy the mandates of the UN Working Group. 
which renders the founding declaration of the United States really it lies desecrated, and the forms of diplomacy are farce. Um, that's something that individuals all around the world are trying to take action on. And again, the point of this is it's a grassroots action, as I understand it, that this is people saying, I'm not waiting for my government to come around. I'm saying, let this man free. Is that basically what we've got going? And can you go into a little more detail? We're about five minutes into the first 20 minutes. Um, a little more detail on what is JA for me uh, what are you going to do, and, and what's been the response so far? Um, well, we have a really amazing action framework. We're a decentralized movement. We have global days of action that, for now, are scheduled for the last day of every calendar month worldwide. We don't dictate what actions people can take, but we have made a number of suggestions. So they can schedule protest marches. They can do light brigades, they can chalk on pavement, they can sticker their town, they can hand out flyers, they can talk on street corners, they can hold teachings, they can do anything that they want to do to take action, to educate people and to get people on board with the mission to free Assange. Um, so we, uh, we're starting really small, but we expect this to grow really big long term. We are going to be really relentless with our actions. So even if only one person shows up to the first one, we'll make sure that two people show up to the next one and then four and then eight. And as the months go by, this will grow into a massive movement. We have already, um, I mean, this, this was only conceived of like a week ago today. And we put the campaign together in a couple of days. We just um, put the first media resources out on Monday, just gone. And we already have 5,000 hits a day on our website. So we're already having quite an impact. I've noticed when uh, from some of the tweet stream on this hashtag that there is a reluctance among people because there's been so many people. WikiLeaks is like the third rail. People just disappear uh, over and over and over again when they're dealing with the WikiLeaks subject. Um, obviously, WikiLeaks is something that that is a targeted. Uh, what what uh, can you kind of give some guidance to people who are nervous, <laughs> as well they should be, but at the same time, there's going to be, there's already thousands of people involved with this. I saw your server hit number the other day. Uh, that'll grow to tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. Uh, safety in numbers. Can you kind of elaborate on that, please? Yeah, there is safety in numbers, but um, also we've really got two choices, like, there are a very few, a minority of people who've said, this can't work, you know, what if it doesn't work? And it's like, our two options are we can either sit at home and be silent and say nothing because we don't think it will work, and we can just watch TV to see what happens to Julian and hope for the best. Or we can say, no, we're not just going to sit and watch passively. We're not going to make this reality TV we're actually going to get off our backsides and do something to change the situation, to, to influence the future for him and for WikiLeaks and for all of us. And for me, at least, inaction is not an option. Uh, I can't, my conscience will not allow me to do nothing in this situation. WikiLeaks champion so many whistleblowers. They protect so many sources. Somebody has to stand up and protect them. Someone has to protect Assange. 
he has put himself on the line for everybody, and now everybody needs to put themselves on the line for him. Well put. Um, and again, if if he's not there, uh, then we're next. Is kind of what it comes down to. That's, uh, that's kind of a in a in a nutshell. That seems to be what we're talking about here. That yes, there are risks in trying to support WikiLeaks. But by the same time, the risks of not supporting WikiLeaks is obviously a far higher risk. And again, we've got about uh, 10 minutes left in this section. Um, and anything more? You can kind of give us a taste of what's happening with the, with the ja for me hashtag. Sure. Well, basically what it comes down to is we have one demand, and that demand is that safe passage to Ecuador be granted for Julian Assange, that he be allowed to enjoy the asylum that he has rightfully been granted by that country. And we are not going to stop with these actions until that demand is met. And when that demand is met, then the actions will cease. So we have very much a sole focus, and I do believe it is achievable. There are historical precedents for other emancipation movements. They have had to take action over a number of years, but they have ultimately been able to free those for whom the movements were started to support. I'd like to touch again on the the urgency of this. Uh, From the reports I'm seeing, he has been denied health care at some step along the way. Uh, is that an ongoing situation? How is his health? Is he hanging in there? I can't personally speak for his health. Um, my impression is that Julian is extremely strong and extremely resolute and that he has anticipated having to undergo these hardships that he now is and that he has made a conscious choice to do so because the principle is greater than his life which he is risking. Um, I think you would have to be a blind man to look at him in his recent speeches and to not see that there has been a visible impact on his health. So despite how strong and resolute he appears to be, it is really clear to me that he is suffering and that he is paying a price. And that definitely makes me feel very empathetic towards him, and I'm, I'm sure millions of other people are empathetic towards him as well. I guess a, a point here again, I've I got to get back to it. I can't even imagine being living inside a consulate. Uh, he's basically trapped in there. If he's, There have been a couple of pictures of him stepping out, uh, stepping outside, but he doesn't get very far away. I guess he's in... I guess he's in fear of uh, being abducted. Uh, Is that something you can address? Um, uh, There's a whole range of possibilities as to what could happen to him. Um, I think there was a wonderful photo of him recently uh, outside the embassy or on the balcony. Did they remove a window, I think, maybe, to to let him come out for this photo opportunity? But he was standing alongside um, the Reverend Jesse Jackson, And I recall him saying after that that he hadn't realized that um, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated standing next to Reverend Jesse Jackson um, (laughs) under somewhat similar circumstances and decades prior. So, I mean, he, he takes a risk by being inside the embassy. He takes a risk by stepping outside the embassy. I don't think that risk is something that he can avoid. And it's, it's pretty clear that 
his resolve to take on those risks for the wider benefit of humanity, which is, is yet another reason that he is such an admirable figure and why we all should support him en masse. Got about seven minutes left in this section. Um, what would be, obviously, international law is not my strong point. Uh, raising cows is actually what I do best. Um, I, I, as long as he's in that embassy, he is basically on Ecuador territory, as I understand it. And that's what the safety is, that nobody can get to him as long as Ecuador doesn't give permission. Um, have you gotten any kind of an idea of if this is successful or when this is successful? Because it's obviously they can't keep him forever. Uh, when he gets to Ecuador, is he? What kind of does that increase his safety because he's inside, not just an embassy building with foreign powers all the way around him, but he actually has the protection of the Ecuadorian government. Um, and he, can you give us some guidance on why we're trying to get him to Ecuador? Well, clearly, yes, he would be protected by the Ecuadorian government um, just by the, on the merits of him having won asylum from them. I assume in the same way that Snowden was granted asylum by Russia and is protected by them to, to, to some measure. Um, I'm, not, I'm certainly not an expert on asylum couldn't tell you the specifics of how he would be protected, but he would obviously be a lot better off in Ecuador than he is trapped in the UK. And a, and a silly question at this point. He is At this point, he is, he is on Ecuadorian soil because of the embassy, but he is actually in... Is he in Sweden right now? Where is he? I, I, uh, no, he's in the UK. He's in, in, he's in the Ecuadorian embassy, embassy in London in the UK. Okay. Uh, and then it's Sweden that is involved with this story. Um, and uh, again, right. here, we've is, only got... It is Sweden. It's Sweden that reopened an investigation into him that they had already decided was baseless. Um, it's clear that there was some measure of political influence in, in that decision to reopen the investigation. Um, I believe that they have failed to question him despite his offers for them to do so. And they have not brought charges against him, despite the media reporting for years on end that he had been charged when, when he had not. Um, for me, I don't really want to get into the particulars of the case, even though it's really clear that the entire case is a farce. Um, but I feel like, as WikiLeaks supporters, we've been debating the ins and outs of the case for the last five years. And this is no longer about the case. This is about him being illegally detained and the UN having decided that and demanded for him to be released and for the superpowers, the US and the UK in particular, using Sweden as their front, disrespecting that decision. And I think that this movement is about raising the stakes for, for those superpowers. Because when the risks involved in the continued arbitrary detention of Assange outweigh the perceived rewards to them of trying to catch him, then just as with the icons of past, past generations, the powers that be absolutely will back down. We've got uh, about two minutes left in this section, and I, I think that's really an important point too. Uh, basically, 
we have the United States is, is involved with this, and our leadership tends to want to get up on the moral high horse and explain to people how they should be acting ethically. But at the same time, we've got a U.N. Uh, decree that he has been illegally detained, and we're not doing anything to enforce that ruling by the U.N. How can we have any kind of a moral agency at all? I mean, what's the... I, I would see the the downside of, of these governments' positions to be uh, completely outweighing whatever they're going to try to get out of WikiLeaks will go on whether, whether, uh, wherever he is physically. What, have you got any kind of a feel for why they're, why they're dragging their feet? Look, the open and went on undermining undermining of the core premises of international law is only tenable because we, the global citizens, allow it to be. We allow them to get away with it by our silence. Our silence makes us complicit. We reinforce yes. the the electoral processes of these countries who are democracies in name only by our participation in their sparse theatrical sideshows that they call elections, despite us knowing full well that the unelected deep state never leaves office and operates behind closed doors. And that's something that WikiLeaks has consistently exposed, is that deep state. When we have our one vote every four years, it has absolutely no impact on the deep state, on, on the security agendas of the military-industrial complex. We can't vote them out. We can't, once every four years, kick them out. They laugh about the fact that they are there for 25 or 30 or 40 years. They know we can't vote them out. They know that democracy is a farce. And that is why they, frankly, don't give a flying toss about the UN ruling. <laughs> because they will, they will only apply the UN rulings in the situations where it suits their agenda to. So if some third world country detains some American diplomat and the UN Working Group on Arbitrary Detention finds that that diplomat has been illegally detained, then those countries will scream to high heavens that the UN ruling must be enforced or sanctions must be brought down upon that country. But when the coin is flipped, you know, when it's the other side of the coin and it's them, who, the US and UK, who, who are illegally detaining, arbitrarily detaining Julian Assange, they thumb their nose at the ruling. And this is the ultimate hypocrisy. And we, us, citizens, regular people, have got to stand up and say that is not good enough. You do not make laws so that you can ignore them. You do not expect us to be bound by laws which you as states will not abide by yourself. And we're back. We had some technical difficulties. Um, can you go ahead with the, the, what, you were, uh, what you were saying, Susie? Sure. Look, I, just, I feel really like these states count on our social decline facilitating our political apathy. You know, they count on us allowing ourselves to be consumed by entertainment or sports or gaming or celebrity or food or drugs or sex or any of the countless hollow spectacles that are designed to bedazzle us <laughs> so that we sleepwalk through the myriad of unfolding global crises. You know, 
they wish to render us powerless by subconsciously convincing us that we are, but we are not. And this is one case where we are far from powerless and where we can make a difference. Because just as with Mandela and others before him, the concerted efforts, relentless actions, and singular focus of a freedom movement can and will liberate Julian Assange. I think that's an excellent point. And again, this show is an is an excellent indicator of why there is no way they're going to be able to stop this movement. Um, this is an international call. It's basically a free international call. Uh, these kind of tools didn't allow people to be able to talk this freely and to communicate this freely 10 years ago, probably five years ago. Um, this cannot be stopped. Uh, and, and, and basically what's causing the effect that you're seeing, the sleepwalking, I'm hearing a lot of people say it's fear. Uh, every time, every time the people start to shake off the fear, uh, well, something else happens and we've got to be afraid, be afraid of this, be afraid of that. There was an American president a long time ago who said we have nothing to fear but fear itself. And that is what we're dealing with, um, getting past the fear. We need to move on to the second section here, uh, WikiLeaks. Um, what is the significance of WikiLeaks? And we'll have a link up to collateral murder, which was one of the first things that WikiLeaks was a breakthrough on. Um, can, you, can you touch on that? Why is, why is WikiLeaks so important? Well, you know, I think it breaks through the fear and the apathy because, as they say, courage is contagious. And I think people look at, at people like Julian Assange um, and also the beneficiaries of the Courage Foundation and, and they see that it is possible to stand up and make a difference. It is possible to set aside your personal fear and to achieve something for everybody on this planet. And that's why I think this movement is unstoppable because this movement has no leaders. You can take me out as a spokesperson. You can take out anybody in any city. There are still millions of people that want him freed and that will stand and rise and do something about it. And as people visibly do do that, others will join and get on board of natural causes. And there is, as you said, safety in numbers. Um, so I do believe this is unstoppable. I think WikiLeaks' greatest achievement, aside from bringing transparency and accountability to those in the seats of the greatest power and changing the course of our modern history, which really they have and they do on a daily basis, um, that source protection is really WikiLeaks' greatest achievement. Um, it's absolutely incredible what they have done for sources like Snowden, you know, against all odds they, they saved him. And I think that they're the only organization, certainly the only publisher on this planet that could, that could do that, that were able to do that, that had the skills and the circumstances to do that. And source protection is the most critical aspect of journalism, but it's also the most complex and it's the least well understood. And on the, techno on the technology side, it's a constantly changing landscape. And personally, as a journalist, I, and an, an untrained journalist, my, my journalism experience is all in the school of hard knocks. It's all learning by doing, not, not learning by textbooks. But I really feel like there is insufficient training available in source protection. Um, I have learned a lot about encryption. I've learned a lot about tech tools. I've learned about a lot about how to protect myself and others in the digital realm. 
that it is very difficult to find any resources about from a, a communication side, a person-to-person -person side, um, how to protect sources, how to speak safely with sources, how what language to use. Um, we hear about techniques like misdirection where um, you're actually seeding false information or misleading information to each other to protect yourself so that you can't be tracked by a um, pattern of life. Um, but if you don't know how to do misdirection properly, misdirection turns into miscommunication. And I think um, Sarah Harrison from Courage Foundation, the executive director, uh, she did an amazing speech last year where she said uh, the, the golden rule for source protection is, if in doubt, shut the fuck up. And that, that's a really great like <laughs> watershed moment for me because that's obviously really, really good advice, except that if you don't know what you're doing and you're not <laughs> experienced in source protection, then you're always in doubt. And always shutting the fuck up is not going to help you or your sources. So we really need to take one step beyond that. And I, I feel like um, it would be amazing if WikiLeaks would pass on some of that knowledge, put more of that knowledge into the public arena and, and to help journalists who are in situations where they are speaking with and communicating with sources to be able to do so safely. We'll um, have a link. Of... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I, we'll have a link to uh, a really good reporter here in the States, Ben Swan. Uh, and I, I think you've listened to that show before. He does Independent Journalism 101, a one, one hour from an Emmy Award winning uh, journalist. He's talking about some of the same things you're talking about, about how do you protect your sources. Um, I want to save I, I, when I started as a reporter, we used typewriters. I can't begin to tell you how difficult it is to try to keep current, like you said, a constantly changing uh, technology landscape. Um, what, what, do, you, do you see that WikiLeaks source protection, is it effective? I think it's clearly effective because they've been able to protect you know, some of the most significant sources in modern history. So they are definitely very, very good at what they do. Um, but getting some of that know-how into the public arena, I think, is really critical and really important um, because we have more and more people who are now getting involved in covering these types of topics. And while it's really great to teach them how to use the technology and to give them tools, um, we need to teach them how to communicate with each other safely in terms of their speech. Just for current events, there was, a, there was an article uh, by another guest, uh, repeat guest, Brandon Turbeville, uh, and he was talking about using the WikiLeaks, I guess it was Hillary Clinton's emails have been released, um, and, and the information that's beginning to surface out of that. Again, you can see why the powers that be really don't want this stuff getting out. Um, so, so that's just one of the most recent ones I've seen. Um, any other thoughts they're turning on, conspiracy. on the they're, they're, turning, they're turning conspiracy theory into conspiracy facts. Like, they're well, actually exposing, like, the relationships between political power and the Rothschilds, you know, and, and the banking system. And, they're, they're, like I said before, they're exposing the deep state and the mechanisms of the deep state. 
and they're exposing that the political figures are really just puppets on the string. They are just the reality TV show of life. They're actually they are servants to to much greater embedded power. That directly speaks to what we were saying, getting past the fear. Um, because for years there was a fear that somebody was going to hit you with this label conspiracy theorist. But now this is conspiracy fact, and when the lawyers get into it, it's conspiracy charges, um, which is where <laughs> we need to be. Um, any other thoughts? We've, we've got about another 10 minutes in this section about the significance of WikiLeaks. Um, that basically, Brandon's article was talking about, I think it was right about the same time that the terrorist bombing in Belgium, and then that connects back to uh, the, the war in Syria. Uh, that connects back to the refugee problems. That goes back to fill in the blank. I mean, this is extremely important information that's being put out here in the public realm where somebody like me that can work a typewriter, barely, uh, can actually do something with it. Um, any thoughts on that? Yeah, there's no doubt that they're playing a critical role, and and that's why the um, the superpowers are coming after them as hard as they are. Um, I feel like WikiLeaks is the mothership. You know, I feel like, for want of a better term, it is Zion in the Matrix. It's like it's our our last place of refuge. It's our home. Um, Julian Assange talked about vanguardism. Uh, he talked about WikiLeaks being the vanguard that they push out as far as they can on the wing to create a space, to create a vacuum for all of the other activists and journalists to fill so that we can operate more freely and have greater impact while WikiLeaks is out there taking the heat on our behalf. And that's why it is so, so important that we support them because if we allow them to fall, we are all next. You know, there's, there's no doubt. So our silence will not protect us. Only taking a stand and reinforcing WikiLeaks will protect us. Hey, we got cut off again. And we're back. Uh, we are having technical difficulties. I can't say that surprises me. Are you there, Susie? It doesn't surprise me either, unfortunately. What was the last <laughs> thing you heard, Terry? <laughs> I uh, I think I was trying to talk about the, one of our earliest shows at Occupy America Social Network. Uh, Kevin uh, will have a link to that show. And he was showing the links between the collateral murder uh, tape, uh, which was involved with the Arab Spring movement, which was involved with the Occupy movement, which was really how you and I got into trying to be active, uh, trying to replace the, the controlled media with independent reporters like us. Um, can, you, uh, can, you, can you kind of talk about, uh, that's why this is so vital. Uh, that's what we wanted to talk about here was the, was the impact. Uh, once again, I think you were talking about the Matrix, uh, are you there? Right, that WikiLeaks, yeah, that WikiLeaks is, is our our final place of refuge. Um, and as I was explaining about Julian Assange's um, concept, his theory of vanguardism, 
uh, where WikiLeaks is the vanguard. WikiLeaks pushes out as far as they can in a radical direction to create a vacuum that the rest of us can fill, that us journalists and us uh, activists can uh, can be active and can be effective in, and that WikiLeaks takes a huge amount of the heat for us. And that's why it is so important that we protect them. By protecting them, we are protecting ourselves, because if we allow them to fall, we are next. Our silence will not protect us. One of the... Uh, 10-year anniversary of Twitter, uh, one of the most active Twitter hashtags uh, was the Ferguson movement. And and in Ferguson, which I'd been reporting, and I think I was sharing some information with you, uh, what we were trying to do was to try to make sure that the word was getting out what was going on in a small town in Midwestern America with a bunch of people who had the guts to stand up and to stand up for their rights and to stand up against uh, against murder. Um, the world is watching is what really became extremely obvious. Uh, it scares these guys, and as well it should. Um, the world is watching this. Uh, do you have in the last five minutes here? Um, Ferguson what, what, is a brilliant example. Ferguson's a brilliant example because the entire infrastructure of the state has been set against those protesters and it has not made a damn difference. They have <laughs> got the FBI and the DHS and the fusion centers and the Perth mayors and everyone else and their dog set against those protesters trying to suppress those protests. And they continue regardless. Um, the, the methods of oppression, as we've discussed previously, actually fuel the movement. So the more they interfere with them, the more they oppress, the more different variety of ways that they oppress the protesters only serves to grow their ire and to deepen their commitment to the cause. It becomes self-perpetuating. They tried to, uh, they, they tried to keep people down in Ferguson by... Uh, trying to make it feel helpless, learned helplessness, we've said over and over in this show. That is one of the strongest tools in the controller's toolbox. Um, the net result of over a year now of trying to suppress the, the people in Ferguson, uh, well, we've got one of those activists, uh, D-Ray, is running for mayor of Baltimore now. Uh, and, and according to the um, polls, he's making a good show. Go ahead. We've just had one of our occupiers from Occupy Auckland elected to be a member of parliament, actually a list MP for the Green Party in New Zealand. Her name is Marima Davidson. She used to protest alongside me at Occupy Auckland. Um, I did an interview with her for Occupy Savvy very early on in the movement. And she is now a member of parliament in New Zealand. Uh, she was quite notably thrown out of parliament. I think she'd only been there about a week or two. <laughs> for taking on the Prime Minister. <laughs> so we absolutely are invading the halls of power. We absolutely are beginning to worm our way into the infrastructure and to have some impact from the inside. But as Mudderman knows full well and as all the occupiers know full, full well, and as we've just been discussing in terms of the Rothschild and the deep, the deep state, we can only go so far in politics. 
you know, politics is is a um, a show of democracy. It is not real democracy. Real democracy is where people get together and make decisions for themselves on the ground. And that's very much what this movement is about. This movement is our golden opportunity to thwart the evil plans of the corrupt and to tip the balance of the scales towards justice. And the Ferguson movement again with DeRay running for for uh, mayor in one of the major cities here in, in the states. Uh, the, the actions that are being taken clear the way to get us back to the point where the elections can start to peacefully make some kind of movement. The, the advantage to an election is you don't have anybody getting shot. Um, I, I'm sure you saw some of the coverage coming out of Ferguson. There were women, uh, she was a guest on this show, uh, woman or preacher that was shot over this uh, that's got to stop and and that's that's what we're trying to do is clear the way here so that the the election process can take over instead of uh ballots instead of bullets to make a long story short that would be really there? nice to see we've got a we've got a whole lot of dismantling to do before we can get to that point i think um, but I do think that when the people assert their will, that there is change. Absolutely. Um, and I would like to talk, I think our next section, we're going to talk about how to build these mass movements and, and what phases they move through, you know, from their inception to, to mainstream acceptance. Yeah, in case we get disconnected again, let's go ahead and, and move to that point. Um <laughs> Because the bottom line is, even if they disconnect us again, we'll catch it in edit, put it back together. They're not going to stop this show either. Lord knows they've tried, uh, but we're still here. You're still here. Uh, can you can you go ahead now, and we'll move to that third section. Uh, how do you build mass movements? And this is something from the Occupy movement. Uh, you really do a, a superb job with that. One of the things I, I saw you talking about uh with your tweets was the importance of of how you structure a hashtag. Um, can you touch on that real fast about what's a good hashtag, what is, uh, and what makes a bad hashtag, why you don't want to see that. We saw it in Ferguson, if there were multiple hashtags, then people could get drawn off of where the action really was, diversions again. Uh, can you kind of address that right. quickly? I think um, it's about lowering the barrier for people, right? So with JA for me, I think personally it's a brilliant hashtag for two reasons. One, you can remember JA for me, Julian Assange for me. You can you can remember that very easily. It's not something that somebody needs to repeatedly remind you of so that you can keep it in your mind. So hashtags have to be memorable. Um, from the point of view of covering actions and especially live tweeting actions, You've only got 140 characters to tell people what's going on. You don't want a 25-character hashtag. So <laughs> JA for me is five characters. It is a delight and, and easy for live tweeters to tweet to that hashtag. And I think we've seen that already, not so much in the live tweeting, because our first actions are actually on March 31st. At the end of this month, we have our first global day of action. Um, but already there are thousands of tweets on that hashtag, which was started less than a week ago. So that's really evidence that it, that it is a, a well-formed hashtag. Um, but movements aren't really about hashtags so much as they're about word of mouth. Um, 
And someone asked me that the other day on Twitter. They said, how are you going to build a mass movement? And I said, the same way that we built every other mass movement, which is not relying on mainstream media to cover it, because they won't initially. They just won't. It's not relying on big-name people with reputations and networks to support it straight away, because they won't either. They will only back something that they're sure is going to be successful or is beneficial to them to support. But word of mouth, talking to regular people, getting regular people involved, that is how you build a movement. So you'll see when I'm sending out my media resources, I'm sending them to regular Twitter citizens that I've, I've chatted with on and off for years. I'm not just going after the celebrities. I'm not just going after the media orgs. I'm going after Joe Bloggs because Joe Bloggs will tell Jane Bloggs, who will tell their friends and their teachers and their kids and their students. And once that the information filters through the regular community and they begin to get on board, that's when you see the big-name celebrities going, oh, I support this, I support this. And that's when the media have no choice but to cover it. You have to build the hype before you can get access to the media platforms. So that's very much our agenda, is to involve regular people and to continue to build that until we cannot be ignored. We've got about 18 minutes left in the show. Uh, part of when people move into this hashtag, they'll see what looks like a lot of repeating messages with different names on it. Um, and there's a reason for that, to get, a, to get the numbers to show up through the Twitter algorithms. Can you kind of address that? You've got to be better at it than me. But I've seen it work, and when um, it does work, it's spectacular. Sure. Those tweets, those tweets are actually coming from our campaign website, which is ja4me.org. You can also go to ja4me.com, and it will just redirect you to the .org site. So if you go to that site and you look on the front page, there is a little box that has a message, and it says, tweet this. And that is the, what you see on the hashtag is the thousands of people who are going to our website and who are clicking on that button. And that does something with algorithms. I've seen it work in Ferguson when we were scared that people were going to get killed again, hurt again. Uh, we were trying to get eyes on, and the world is watching uh, was, was that particular hashtag. And there's, there's something called a, a Twitter storm, and again, it's a little more complex than I'm really comfortable with, but it looks like if you do the cut and paste, it does count with the algorithm which then goes to the cascade, which triggers off alarms and alerts and causes more people to get eyes on. Uh, but you have to do it correctly. You have to do uh, – you can't just hit the retweet button. And, again, this is kind of nuts and bolts, and forgive me, but it's something I think you've – that people really need to understand why sometimes the Twitter feed looks like it does. Uh, you have to cut and paste. You can't just hit retweet. Is that correct? Well, if you're tweeting from the website, it sends it as a brand new tweet, and you're correct that that has more impact than if it's just being retweeted. Um, really, Twitter algorithms are a very complex topic, and exactly yes. the semantics of the semantics of those you could pretty much study at university as a full-time degree. Um, so I won't get into too much of the specifics now, but one thing that is really valuable is if you can get uh, it to trigger what's called push notifications to people's mobile phones, yes. which is 
where, yes. where they get little messages on their phone saying, hey, this is what your friends are tweeting about. Your friends are tweeting about this hashtag or they're, they're sending this message. That, that definitely helps to grow it. But um, as the actions begin on the 31st, you'll see a lot less of those messages and a lot more of images and narrative from people on the ground at, at actions. There's also again, a lot of eye candy on, on our hashtag right now because if you go to ja4me.org and click on the goodies tab, you'll see we have absolutely <laughs> gorgeous, I love them so much, we have absolutely gorgeous graphic design work that's been done. We have everything to dress your social media accounts with. We have profile pics and we have wallpapers and we have Twitter banners and we have um, action posters that can be printed out. We have four or five different types of stickers that can be printed out. Um, and they're absolutely beautiful, and you see people sharing those. Also, a really cool video was made for our movement as well, and, and that's, that's got a lot of traction too. WikiLeaks themselves did retweet that. I see there's near on 250 or 300 retweets of that already. So considering we've only been going for less than a week, it's pretty impressive. It's pretty spectacular what we've done so far. I mean, and, it's and always going to take time to build traction, like, but we just have to be relentless about it. And over time, and, the results will just become exponential. And, and I guess that's my point again. As somebody who learned to report on a typewriter, sometimes it's annoying when you're looking at the Twitter and you're getting requests on a Twitter storm to do it a specific way, but there really is a reason why you're being getting that request to do something in a specific way, right? I mean, can you amplify that for me? Yeah, sure. Sure. We're also, what we're really trying to do is break the containment strategy of the powers that be because, as we all know, there's four phases to every movement, right? First, they ignore you. And then when they can't ignore you anymore, they ridicule you and make fun of you. And then they actually bring in the dogs and they fight you. And when fighting you doesn't work, as with, in, as with Ferguson and Baltimore, then you win. Then you start to have political impact. Then they start to take on your narrative. And that's when you start to hear politicians saying, oh, we're for the 99%, you know, never mind that a year, a year before they, they, couldn't, they couldn't stand the 99%. All of a sudden they're now adopting the narrative. And, and that's when you know that you've won and when you've penetrated and had that impact. And that's exactly where I see Jay for me going. So right now, you know, this week we sent out our press release to a bunch of media orgs. None of them have yet acknowledged uh, our movement. They're in the ignore phase. They're in the containment <laughs> strategy phase. Um, it won't work. The next, step, the next step will be once their instructions filter down from the upper echelons of the powers that be, then the next step will be they'll come up with some, some line to ridicule us. So then we will be unwashed hippies or, you know, lazy, <laughs> I, I, hypocritical iPhone users or they'll have, they'll have some ridiculous narrative to try to dis And we're back. Uh, we're having a lot of technical difficulties. Susie, I've uh, got about 12 minutes left. Uh, take off before we get disconnected by Big Brother again. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, um, I see a lot of parallels um, between this movement and other historical movements, and I'm, I'm really not much of a historian myself. I know that Julian Assange definitely is and probably is much more qualified to speak on this than I am. However, I think of this movement as being akin to the Free Mandela movement. 
Um, Mandela, of course, was unsuccessfully prosecuted for treason. Um, his trial lasted six years, actually, between 1956 and 1962, when he was then jailed for life anyway, even though the treason charges didn't stick. Um, and in the late 60s, there was a free Mandela campaign that started that, that ran alongside the anti-apartheid movement. Um, but it wasn't really until 1980 that Mandela started to become a known figure outside of, of South Africa. Um, and that, that movement, you know, kicking off in 1980, it, it took years, but by 1988, that movement was filling Wembley Stadium. So that just goes to show what can be achieved in eight years, that someone can go from virtually unknown outside of their home country to filling one of the largest stadiums in the world with supporters eight years later. And I can't, I can't say that we will free Julian in one month or three months or two years or five years, but I can certainly say we need to start now. We absolutely need to start now. And just as Mandela went from... Just as Mandela went from being an FBI and CIA target to, you know, a Nobel Peace Prize laureate, I, I think Julian's future is, is probably going to follow a similar course. Got about 10 minutes left. Uh, part of the toolbox for ending apartheid in South Africa was uh, boycotting products, hit them in the pocketbook. Uh, hopefully that's going to be a part of this uh, I'm, I'm seeing boycotts of Sweden. Uh, can you touch on that real quick? Yeah, I'm not really across that movement. I know there is a, a movement to boycott Sweden. Um, I would like to think that, like, perhaps the BDS, it will be really, really high impact and that it will affect them. However, I think having the mass decentralized global actions is what will really hit them in the pocketbook. And the BBC says of the Free Mandela movement that it was one of the most effective global media movements and that the ANC, the African National Co Congress Coalition, uh, um, allowed overseas satellite groups relative freedom to adapt their campaigns to their local circumstances. And that's what really had a, a huge impact in, in raising the stakes and freeing Mandela was when it did become an international effort and when there were actions worldwide. So that's very much what we are aiming for here because then all of those individual countries who are feeling that impact begin to advocate for change to come. And that's definitely what we need. You've got about nine minutes left. Uh, that was a successful movement. Uh, what, uh, what, we're, what we're trying to fight is fear. What we're trying to fight is hopelessness. Uh, in that last nine minutes, uh, what... Uh, What's some good news, Susie? <laughs> sure could use some good news here, Susie. Well, some good news is that I've been in jail for 27 years, like, yes. like Mandela was. You know, some more good news is that it's not illegal to publish photos of Assange. It was illegal to publish images or photos of Mandela for over 20 years. From 1970 to 1990, it was actually a crime to publish a photo of Nelson Mandela. And this is someone who became a highly regarded diplomat. Mandela negotiated between Libya and UK in the Pan Am 103 bombing. He was an anti-HIV and AIDS campaigner. And yet his words and his teachings were banned. 
and his fellow activists were exiled and even executed. There were ANC activists that went to the gallows for their cause. So we are really lucky that it hasn't come to that yet with WikiLeaks. Like we we face a lot of persecution, and yes, even we have some activists that are that are exiled, but we are still able to circulate information, and we will continue to circulate information. And we have we operate in multiple jurisdictions. So it's very difficult for them to oppress us in the same way that the ANC and Mandela were in in previous decades. Um, I think it's also good news that Mandela, you know, he was released on 11th of February 1990. So there is an end in sight and there is hope that we can achieve this and we can liberate Julian Assange. And the Mandela case really shows how poorly humanity treats intellectuals and luminaries. We treat them so badly. Our best global citizens are treated appallingly. They are jailed and they're exiled and they are silenced and sometimes they're even killed. And in his 1964 trial, Mandela made a speech in lieu of testifying on his own behalf. He got up and spoke. And he said, I have fought against white domination and I have fought against black domination. I have cherished the ideal of a democratic and free society in which all persons live together in harmony and with equal opportunities. It is an ideal which I hope to live for and to achieve, but if needs be, it is an ideal for which I am prepared to die. That level of conviction, that level of commitment to principle is exactly what we see out of Assange and out of many other activists worldwide because we know that what we are fighting for is bigger than ourselves. We know that our principles are worth more than our individual lives and that is why there is no stopping us. That is why we will win. And are winning. Again, that's that's the real point of this whole thing. We've, we're, we're speaking from, from what... Uh, Occupy is dead. How many times have we heard that? But we are still part of that ongoing Occupy movement. Um, Occupy is not dead. Uh, got about four minutes left. What are your last thoughts? Occupy has morphed into a thousand or ten thousand or a hundred thousand beautiful initiatives. This wonderful decentralized structure of of thousands of causes and. We, I, I always used to say that the evictions freed us. The evictions spread us like little seeds. It, it, it was like they blew a dandelion and all the thousands of, of pieces of dandelion spread throughout their countries and created these new little microcosms. And while they had us pinned in, literally, and into the surveillance pens in, in the public spaces, they were actually uh, they were able to control us a lot better, but when they imposed the evictions upon us, as traumatizing as it was, it really freed and liberated all of the individuals in the movement. And the vast majority of them have gone on to much greater things as a result. And they've been able to propagate the ideas of the movement, and it's just further evidence of how the tools of oppression, the mechanisms of oppression used against us ultimately serve our cause. Because the harder they come down on us, 
it's like water. We're like water through their fingers, you know. They can grab at us all they want, but we just filter through the cracks and we're still there en masse. We reform. <laughs> and that's really how I see it. We are, we are like water. And so they can keep grabbing at us as much as they want. They cannot stop us. Uh, I, I, I can't agree more. <laughs> what a surprise, or we wouldn't be going through the hassle of trying to put this international show together. Um, you can get an idea of just how bad uh, the powers that be don't want something to exist by just how bad they're resisting it. Uh, obviously, they're resisting WikiLeaks. Very, very, very strong uh, resistance. That's terrible grammar, but <laughs> if, if we retranslate that back into English, um, they're losing. They're losing at a high rate of speed. They're losing faster today than they did yesterday. Uh, last minute, last thought, uh, what you see? Well, look, this is Julian Assange is the classic example, right? If they hadn't persecuted him so strongly, if they hadn't come after him so hard, he wouldn't be in an embassy publishing 20 hours a day. You know, he'd be having dinner parties in Sweden quite happily with his friends and, and still doing his work, but certainly not at the rate that he is now. So the harder they come down on him, the more releases come out. Last year was, 2015 was by far the biggest publishing year that we've seen out of WikiLeaks. And even though the media just want to talk about the case against him, the reality is if you go to WikiLeaks.org and you look at the releases that have come out, there have been back-to-back major releases month in yes. and month out. And the, the pace of them is just accelerating. And that is exactly what we're going to do with the JA for me actions. Right now, the actions will be the last calendar day of every month. If they do not free him, they will become fortnightly. Every two weeks, we will have a global day of action. If they still do not liberate him, those actions will become weekly. Every single week, there will be global solidarity days of action to free Julian Assange. And if they still do not liberate him, they will become daily actions. We will accelerate the frequency of the events until they let him go. So it is in their own self-interest to give up the persecution of one man. It is in their own self-interest to back down and to save some faith for once, to stop destroying their own reputation, to uphold international law, and to allow Julian safe passage to Ecuador. Well put. And, and basically, to make a long story short, with this being an effective action, I'm looking forward to doing a show with, with, with Julian and uh, yourself, and someday we can all say, welcome home. Um, that's what this is all about. That that's will what be Occupy a beautiful day. Be a beautiful day because uh, the time for waiting and hoping and debating is over. Now we take action. That's the point. We occupy worldwide, wherever you are. Do what you can. Um, it's working. Uh, thanks again, Susie. It's been great. Uh, technically, it's been a little difficult. <laughs> so there'll be a slight <laughs> pause while I try to get this edited and put back together because right now it looks like Swiss cheese, but it will be online shortly. Uh want to thank you again. We look forward to having you back as soon as possible. Uh, till thank then, you so uh, much. Thank you. And uh, this is Episode 5. 
And uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for standing. Bye-bye.